0: everybody. Welcome to another episode of JavaScript Java. Today, we have our panelist, AJ O'Neill.
1: Yo, yo, yo. It's Sargeus coming at you live from Sunny Bunny Provo. Chuck will
0: probably be joining us shortly. And our guest today is Jeff Merrison. Hopefully, I am saying that correctly. If you're like me and you listen to a bunch of podcasts, his voice may sound familiar, but I will let him introduce himself.
2: Yeah, I'm Jeff Meyerson. I run Software Engineering Daily, a daily software podcast. Cool. Hey,
3: folks, I just want to let you know quickly about Netlify. Netlify is a really cool system for hosting what are traditionally known as static sites. However, the real benefit that I've been finding is that I don't have to mess with a back end. I can just set things up. I build the website out. I've been using a system called Eleventy.js and you just deploy it. And then anything that you have that you want to do, you can do on the front end. So if you want to pull in some kind of database with Firebase or something else, if you want to collect form data, Netlify provides all kinds of services that make it easy to do all that stuff. If you're trying to do serverless, they have a really, really neat serverless setup that will allow you to deploy your websites without having to deploy a backend and it'll do some of the work for you. I, I, just, I just love it. So if you're looking for a way that you can actually deploy a website that only has front-end technology in it, gives you all the tools that you typically need for the back-end without having to actually program the back-end, then give them a try. Go check them out at Netlify.com.
0: So what do you want to chat about today? Well, it's mostly up to you guys.
2: I mean, you're the hosts. I was talking with Chuck before, and he invited me on to discuss a new company that I'm working on called Find Collabs which is an online collaboration platform. We could also talk about Software Engineering Daily because we all share an affinity for software podcasts. I think we should talk about both, but we should start with this new company.
0: Yep, let's go for that first. Okay. so Tell us more about it.
2: Well, so FindCollabs is a place to find collaborators and build projects. And the premise of the platform is that we've got all these great internet technologies and open source tools and closed source tools to build software with. And yet we're not collaborating very much to build software. It's it's a company that's inspired by the fact that ever since college, I have spent weekends working on projects, mostly by myself. And that's not for lack of desire to work with other people. It's just from a lack of ability to figure out parameters to work with other people on side projects with.
0: That makes a lot of sense. I feel like the people that I've worked with in the past on like side projects, I've either met them at conferences or just randomly on Twitter, but it is kind of hard to, I think, connect with folks.
2: What are the problems that you encounter when you try to collaborate with people over the internet?
0: and, and I guess I should add to probably I'm in a lot of slack channels, so I chat with people there frequently. I guess I would say, man, I'm trying to think probably you know there is so much technology out there, so everybody has maybe like their own different flavor of things and they're using things in very different ways so I imagine. Maybe one of the issues is finding people who are kind of facing very similar things that I am, if I wanted to pair up with those folks.
1: I would say there is interest, skill, and availability are like the trifecta that's difficult to meet. I do a lot of things that are very specialized, and so it's difficult to find people that have the skill. And just because they have the skill doesn't mean they have the interest. I probably have more people that are interested in projects that I'm working on than people that have the skills to be able to meaningfully contribute to projects that I'm working on. And then even there's people that meet both of those criteria and are helping, but they help like twice a month because that's their availability.
0: Skill is interesting that you bring that up too, because I feel like there are some people who are going to rate themselves higher than their capabilities, and then there are some people that are going to rate themselves lower. So I'd be curious, Jeff, like, does your platform have a way to um, kind of gauge people's skill set apart from what they're going to identify as?
2: Yes. So the way that works is that when you finish collaborating on a project, your collaborators rate you. So there's an there's a accountability system. If you join a project and you don't do any work, well, you might just get removed from the project by the person who's running it. And that's fine. But if you say you're going to do something, and then you don't do it, you may end up getting a bad rating.
0: I like this idea. More apps need to have something like this.
2: <laughs> that's how I feel. I, I mean, and I, I don't think there will be like a preponderance of bad ratings unless people do really bad behavior. But I think what's more important is that there's a five-star rating system. Like if somebody collaborates with me and they do a great job, I'm going to give them a five-star rating. And over time, when there's a preponderance of people with five-star ratings, let's say you want to, you want to jump on and find collabs and find somebody to maybe start a company with you could find somebody with 25-star ratings and send them a message and say, hey, I notice you've done a bunch of work in React, and I think you, you, you've also done some work in the food delivery space. Like I ha- saw you helped this person with an open-source food delivery app. I've got an idea for a new food delivery company. What if we jump into a collab together and, and start working on this thing? And you can get these trusted relationships that come only from people having built reputation.
0: That makes a lot of sense. And I feel like, too, I mean, the rating... So it's five stars. Is there an ability to comment as well?
2: Yeah, yes, absolutely. So you leave reviews. Okay. Um, And also, you know, to AJ's point, the granularity of interests is present. So people can show what they're interested in. The only way you can really broadcast an the competence with a particular interest is by actually contributing to a project and, you know, earning ratings. Or you can create your own projects, of course. I think another way of looking at it is maybe, I think this is a crude way, but it it is one way to look at it is it's a kind of a layer on top of GitHub. So you can create a collab and you get a chat room, you get a place to invite members, you get a place to display that, oh, I'm looking for a project manager, I'm looking for QA, I'm looking for an iOS developer. And you can lay out the schema of your project and display who you need. And and people can join, people can leave, people can chat, people can tag each other, people can go and find make new collabs. And you can put, it, put links to your GitHub repository, to Dropbox, to whatever. And you know, I think we need a platform to stitch together some of the existing tools for contributing to open source in a way that allows you to find new open source projects that would be appealing to work on. And I'm hoping this leads to a world in which there is more collaboration.
0: that makes a lot of sense. So would this also be something like if you were looking for mentoring or is this strictly for projects? Because I know, Like back when I was learning how to program, there was like AirPair and those kinds of things. I don't even know if they exist anymore, but where you could go in and try to find somebody to help you with something.
2: Yes. I think this is perfect for bootcamp grads or people who are going through an online coding course. You know, I, I think more and more people are finding out that one of the best ways to learn is to build a new project and get input from other people on that project and perhaps get even contribution from other people on that project. And I think it's it's a great place to just post a new project idea and then start working on it in the open. And as people, you know, see your project, they can contribute to it. Or if you, if you're looking for mentorship, you could find somebody who is an experienced developer who's on the platform and ask them, hey, ask me, you know, I'll, I'll be happy to mentor people. Um, you know, what do you think of my project? What do you think of my idea? What do you think of my code base, et cetera? And, and I don't see why not. I think of mentorship as a form of collaboration.
0: Now, when you say out in the open, is there an ability if you want to keep things private as well?
2: There is. The way that we have it built right now is that, If you are an organization, so let's say I'm Jeff at bigcompany.com. If I sign up with Jeff at bigcompany.com, it creates an organization for bigcompany.com, and that organization can create private projects. In the future, we will probably create the ability for other people to make private projects, even if you don't have a an an organization type of uh, email account. But for now, it's restricted to organizations.
0: Okay, that makes sense, because I can imagine like, a lot of people, if you have like, a big grand idea, you want to not share that with the world.
2: <laughs> well, maybe. I mean, the thing is, you don't necessarily have to share your code base. You can share your idea. And, okay,
0: well, and even the idea, though, sometimes people are pretty careful about that. But,
2: that is true, but I would argue they're, they're generally too careful. I mean, I think you, you generally gain by sharing your idea with the world. It's, it, this, is, this is broadly known.
0: Yeah, that's true, too
2: when you share your idea with people, you get to, you know, bounce that idea off of, off of other people. And, and, um, and the idea evolves over time Because generally, you know, the best ideas don't, don't start with the same germ of the idea. It has to germinate for a while. Um, so do, do either of y'all have experience collaborating in, in a very successful way on open source projects with other people?
0: I know back a while ago, there was, like, I think it was Kinsey Dodds who did, like, the big initiative to have people, like, merge their first pull request to an open source library and things like that. And I know a lot went into that as far as, like, a lot of different library maintainers. Um, There was, like, a, you could, like, tag something as, like, a good first issue. So that was really helpful as far as collaborating with open source. I don't know if, outside of like some of those more popular libraries, it probably is pretty painful. Like I know I've had issues at, I mean, I I see it so many times at companies where they'll, you know, pull in some kind of, you know, dependency that's not, you know, crazy popular and they'll want to like submit a PR to change something and the maintainer is just like not Crazy active, and people end up having to like fork the repository and use it in their project, which just makes me cry. (laughs) So that would be my experience. But AJ, uh, go ahead as well.
1: Um, So I, by the most generous counting, get two hundred million downloads on npm every month. By the more conservative count, I get fifty million. Most of those are for really crappy, stupid things, akin to left pad, like literally one line of code, useless. (laughs) Like people shouldn't even use the module. I just published it for myself and someone mistakenly found it. And somehow now there's a bunch of junk projects in other people's projects. The coolest things that I'm working on have far, like are not in the top 10 necessarily even of that download count. GreenLock is what has the most contributors and the most, what I would call meaningful downloads, where it's not just like some stupid left pad style dependency, but it's someone included this and it actually helps them solve a problem that they couldn't solve on their own in 10 seconds. With that, I have had contributors write plugins. I haven't had anybody like join the core project, But again, it's like really obnoxious stuff. What, what it is, it's it's let's encrypt for node is what Greenlock is. So I've had contributors and what I found to be the best thing to help contributors is to have good tests. Because when people want to contribute, they want to contribute by writing a plugin to support like, for example, the Namecheap API or the DigitalOcean API or S3 or whatever. And I found that by improving the test suite, that is what helped me get the most collaboration. But it wasn't like team collaboration. It was like small interactions of, hey, I'm trying to do this thing. I'd love it if you'd put it in the readme as one of the available plugins. Mm. And while I'm doing it, I've also encountered this problem. Could you help me solve it? So it's very like light touch, but very meaningful I would love to have more team effort on some of the projects that I have, but I, I don't, I certainly can't give anyone advice as to how to do it other than that. The first and foremost is the thing needs to be useful because if it's not useful, people aren't interested. And then it needs to have some way of publicizing it. So people know about it. Like I know to do those things, but in terms of how to really garnish a long lasting base of people that are going to contribute on a weekly basis. I have a few people, but not very many.
0: Yeah, I can see how testing would be huge. I would much rather contribute to a code base that has solid test coverage because there's, um, I mean, you really have to then like level up to make sure that you're not breaking things. Whereas if I run the code or I run the test, I'm going to have a reasonable level of certainty that I haven't broken anything that I'm not aware of because I just lack so much context if I'm brand new to it.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, I think the, you know, the goals of, of fine collabs are, are a little more broad than just open source. It is getting the most traction in terms of open source projects today. So the use cases are, I'm a brand new developer and, and I, uh, you know, I'm looking for my, my first project to work on or I'm an experienced developer and I've got a cool project and I want to find other people who want to collaborate on it. But it's mostly software projects in, in any event. But I, you know, I think it will work well for music collaboration, for artistic collaboration, more broad forms of collaboration. The, the, the main goal is just to attack the problem of online collaboration because finding collaborators online who you do not know This to me seems like something that should exist on the internet. It seems like something that has been tried by various avenues, like people posting in Reddit groups and people posting in Facebook groups and stuff. And like those things seem to work okay, but it seems like a a desirable enough idea of the the idea of finding collaborators online to work with on your projects. Sounds so simple. It's just strange to me that it doesn't happen more often.
0: I don't really feel like the adding the ability to review, I don't know. That would, that's huge for me because I feel like you can, you know, use some of the existing tools out there to try to find people, but you just don't, I'm trying to think of like the best way to word it. Cause I don't want to say no like,
2: accountability.
0: There, Yeah. It's, you know, yeah, no accountability and you just don't really know what you're getting. And it ends up like, it's a waste of time. A
1: lot of it. Yes. Well, I think the biggest problem, cause I've, I've done business startup group stuff, like joining in on them and and whatnot, and open source projects that I both contributed to and had contributors for. To me, the biggest problem seems to be people that are most engaged and most interested in looking for collaborators are the people that are the leader type personality who probably have a pretty clear vision that's fairly specific and you don't have a lot of people i mean they do exist i do have one guy that's working with me that like i said before his availability is really low but he's really passionate and he comes back it's you know every time he's got availability and helps out but for the most part those people are really really rare the people that are just itching to join a project and just are able to like broadly see like, oh, here's something vaguely in the area of, that I'm interested in. Those people are really rare in those communities because those communities attract the type A personalities and two type A personalities are not going to work together well if their skill sets are similar because they're going to come to the table with a slightly different vision that might not be easily reconcilable. Maybe if they have different skill sets. Like one person's a designer, the other person's a programmer. I think you've got more of a chance, but like getting two programmers to work together that are type A personalities that both have a vision that they already had before they came to the table. I think that's really difficult.
0: (laughs) I'm laughing Um, because I I, feel like this is like the story of most jobs. Well, and I,
3: I agree and I don't agree, right? If they can get on board with the same vision or, you know, but they, you know, maybe they want different things out of it for themselves. You know, as long as you can find that synergy, then it works. But But the second, then it it diverges. And sometimes what happens is, is that you have two people, they're both type A, and initially they're going to both pull in the same direction. And then eventually one of them figures out that they kind of want to diverge often into this other direction and the other person is not willing to go with them. And so you see things split then too. And so the collaboration is, is an interesting exercise in figuring out, okay, you know, this looks like it's going to work for now, but you know, what are our long-term eventual goals and you know, where are the possible you know, synergies in the future and possible friction points in the future?
1: So what has your experience been with this, Chuck?
3: Well, some of the podcasts have started out that way, right? Initially, for example, Ruby Rogues, um, it it started out as we all kind of had this. We just wanted to talk about Ruby, and then eventually, people started. You know, once it once it got large, you know, once we had a large audience, then it turned into okay, we've got a platform, and people had different, you know, social or you know, I I don't want to say political, but within the community, it was semi-political, you know, agendas, and you know, and so we didn't always see eye to eye on those things. You know, it, it took it four or five years, but you know, eventually things got to that point. And so it does happen where initially everybody just wanted to get on board and we just wanted a show about Ruby. And eventually, you know, or or I would push through with my vision and somebody would say that's not the direction I really wanted to head in. You know, they weren't saying I was wrong, it just wasn't where they wanted to go anymore. And so they, you know, they would leave the show. And so yeah, it does happen.
2: See that to me, that sounds like a perfect kind of collaboration. Uh, because you got to work together for, oh, yeah. for several years. And, you know, you can imagine, it, like, if just transposing that to Find Collabs, if you would have met those people, and by the way, Find Collabs, I think, is a great place to find podcast hosts to work with. If, you, if you're looking to host another po- a podcast with somebody else, you can find people on there who are looking for a podcaster. And this would this would be perfect, because it's the kind of circumstance where, You're a leader. You know how to spin up podcasts. A lot of people do not know how to spin up podcasts, but they know how to ask questions and take notes and you know interview people. So I think collaboration is really good there. And then you know if you work together for three months or four months, and then that person says, "Look, I I now now I know how to how to do a podcast. I want to go spin up my own podcast." You can say, "Okay, that's great. You know, I'm going to leave you a five star rating. It was a pleasure working with you. You know." best of luck in your next podcast.
3: Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's the same thing with... Um, and, and in fact, I've actually listed a few podcasts on Find Collabs. So if you want to help us out with oh, that, uh, yeah, go go check it out. Adventures in Python is on there. I'm going to list a couple of other ones that we're trying to find hosts on. But yeah, in fact, I should just put links in the show notes for those. But yeah, I mean, that's clearly the case. The other thing is, is that um, a few of the people who we got involved in various podcasts that have eventually moved on to other things, they moved on because being on the podcast, raised their profile to the point where they were doing these other things and then they didn't have time to do both. So they had to pick, right? And so they didn't move on because they were mad at me or because they were mad at anyone else or because we were doing something wrong. It was just, I need those couple hours a week more to yeah. work on the thing that I'm working on. And that's that's really rewarding, actually, on my end is that You know what I learned from them. I, you know, I benefited from having them in my life, and they benefited from being part of the show. So,
2: yeah. Well, that's. I mean, that's a prototypical, another prototypical successful collaboration. You know, collaboration doesn't have to last forever. You can uh, you you can have a relationship with a with a professional, and then you know, move on to something new.
3: Well, and realistically. The only collaborations I really expect to go on forever are like my wife and my kids, (laughs) right? (laughs) Eventually, the rest of them are going to end one way or the other. So, you know, there there is some perspective there, right? You know, we we collaborated on the things that we cared about, and then yeah, you know, you move up to other things. So, Jeff, we had a real interesting conversation on your show about podcasting, and I kind of want to turn the tables and ask you some of those questions. So, just to start out, what I think would be beneficial to begin with is just you telling us how software engineering uh, daily got started.
2: Sure. I was working as an engineer at Amazon and I was listening to podcasts all day, every day uh, in between my work on the way to work, leaving from work. And I got the sense that podcasts were, were growing in importance. And at the same time, I was not finding as much content about software engineering on the podcast world as, as I wanted to. There was your show, there's Change Log, there's Software Engineering Radio, which I, that's where I learned to podcast originally. And when I joined Software Engineering Radio in college, and, you know, these are all great shows. I still listen to them today. But, you know, as probably uh, all three of you can attest to, some of us are podcast power consumers. You know, we listen to so many podcasts that we really, we hit inbox zero on the podcast we want to listen to. <laughs> you know, so- I so, do that all the time. And then it's like, okay, what's next? What's next? And that's strange, right? Because it's certainly not the case with blogging, right? Like, I'm never like out of blog posts that I want to read, you know? I don't know. AJ,
3: please write me another blog post. Okay,
2: well, so AJ, AJ's blog it. posts- AJ's blog post, we have a shortage of. That's so, true. So anyway, uh, that was the genesis of Software Engineering Daily. Was just, I wanted there to be more podcast content in the world. And also, I wasn't really enjoying my, my job uh, as much as I, I, I wanted. I mean, I shouldn't say that because it was a great job, but I wanted to do something entrepreneurial. And, you know, Software Engineering Daily seemed like an opportunity.
3: Nice. So what's kind of the focus of the show? Because you talk about a lot of different things on that show.
2: The meta-focus is that there is a broad range of subjects in the world of software engineering. And we should open our minds to learning about this wide variety of subjects because you don't want to pigeonhole yourself as a specific type of developer because that's going to cap your understanding of the broader world. Now, I do think it's really important to focus on something in particular, because you need to focus on something that's deep enough and, you, and develop a deep enough focus to have a truly marketable skill. But the broad range of topics should expose you to, well, you know, what, what else is going on here? Like, maybe I want to check out cryptocurrencies. Maybe I want to check out Kafka. You know, maybe I want to think about business or philosophy and how that pertains to software engineering or think about creativity or art and how that relates to software engineering. I think software engineering is a very, very new domain. And calling it engineering is, I mean, is, is almost, I mean, it's, I'm sure all the other, all the other uh, engineering disciplines, you know, if you, if you talk to an engineer who's been in those industries long enough, they will, they will tell you like, oh, this is an art form. You know, it's, it's totally an art form. The thing about software is it's this, it's this purely text art form. I mean it's 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 a it's an engineering format in text. And uh, and so I really like how you can bring these ideas of that germinate in your mind into a real world system that has impact. And uh, software engineering daily is about how to get better at doing that.
3: Yeah, I can see that. That that's very much related to the next book I want to write. I'm kind of shoring up podcasts right now, but after that I'm going to be writing a book on how to stay current and a lot of it really comes down to you you should be spending 50% of your time leveling up on you know whatever it is that as you put it pigeon hold yourself into and then you should spend the other 50% of your time learning what's coming next. So you should be looking at things like blockchain or AR VR or you know because one of these things is going to come in and it's going to change the way that we do the web. And so if you're doing web development which is mostly what we talk about on this show, you know, it's it's not always going to be the same and if you're hanging in there on what, you're, what you've been doing for the last you know, 10 years, 15 years, you know, there may be a place for you to work on legacy code moving forward, you know, stuff that people wrote and have, uh, you know, still have to maintain that was written 10, 15 years ago. I mean, we still have banks and stuff working off of mainframes for heaven's sake. So there is work there. But if you, if you want to be up and in demand, you're probably going to be wanting to look at whatever those ne- te- next technologies are coming down the pipe and understand where that's going to be. Because mainframes were it for 40 years until they weren't. And now the web's been it for 30 years until it's not. And so whatever's coming next, you, you have to be ready to jump. And that may be AI, that may be something else. But yeah, I completely agree with you. And it's so broad too, because yeah, like you said, it's starting to really pervade every aspect of our lives. I joke that we have a, an augmented reality device we carry around with us. The difference is, is we have to pull it out of our pocket in order to use it, and that's our smartphones. But eventually, that's going to become seamless in the way that we interact with it. Mm. And the, you know, browsing something on a web on a screen is going to become obsolete. So how do we prep for that? And, and I like that focus on that show. Okay, what's coming? What are we talking about? What are we thinking about? What are we moving toward? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So where do you think podcasting is going, especially for programmers?
2: I think it keeps growing. I think there's a lot of people who still don't listen to podcasts uh, or podcasts about software engineering. Like whenever I meet a software engineer at a a meetup or a conference and we're you know striking up a conversation, talking about what do you do, you frequently get people who don't listen to podcasts or people who do not listen to podcasts about software engineering. Mm -hmm. And podcasts are not for everyone, but they do seem to be for most people. Uh, most people who try out podcasting, like listening to podcasts, they seem to really like it because I think there is something about our modern lives, you know, the increased remote work, you know, the, 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 all the things that I'm, I'm sure you, you're deeply aware of that are increasing the the podcast total addressable market and the depth of the consumption in, in, in those markets. I just think podcasting is, is going to increase. And I think a lot of it is that we really like long form conversation. I think that long-form conversation is the way to advance your, your thinking about things. And so bite-sized media consumption, you know, it's it's great for certain kinds of things, but generally, if you want to develop a depth of knowledge about a topic and you don't want to sit down and read a book, podcast conversations or to some extent, audiobooks, although I think audiobooks is a little bit different, podcast conversations are a really refreshing way of, of consuming that information. So my prediction is just that just everything increases, everything keeps going up. And also, you know, developing markets, I don't think they even have really the bandwidth to consume podcasts uh, aggressively right now. And so I think as developing markets grow and expand, that'll really uh, expand what, what our total addressable market is.
0: I know for me... Like I use podcasts too, because our, our environment changes so rapidly. There's always something new coming out. There's so much to keep up to date on. And you might not be able to like deep dive into a lot of things, but by listening to podcasts, I feel like I get like cursory knowledge of a broad range of things. And then I can slowly over time, if I need to kind of put those puzzle pieces together And so, at least for me, that's kind of what I use podcasting for. And I think that stems from when I was getting started learning to program, I just was like, kind of consuming absolutely everything I could all hours of the day. And so podcasting was really good. Like they would talk about something and I wouldn't really necessarily know what they were talking about. But then I would hear the same thing like at a meetup later on, and I would slowly start putting those puzzle pieces together. And I think it really gave me a level up from other people that I was like simultaneously learning with because I would at least just have like a rough understanding of things. The other thing I was gonna say to like changing topics about podcasting and where podcasting is going, I really wish people would collaborate more on podcasts. Like there's so many podcasts that spin up all the time. And I get like so many emails about like, Hey, come on this podcast or that podcast. And I don't know, I guess I would like encourage people maybe if you have like an idea about spinning up a brand new podcast, maybe reach out to like another podcast you already listened to and see if you can collaborate rather than, I don't know, like it's, it's, there's just so many and I feel like they stall out really quickly, where it would be better, like for the longevity of it to collaborate.
2: Amen to that. Yeah. yeah
3: that, I mean, that said, I, I love seeing new podcasts start. Me too. But, but yeah, you know, come, oh, yeah, come, yeah, come talk sure. to... I mean, I'll help you. I'm pretty sure Jeff will help you. So
2: That's yeah. right. I, until, I, until I start reaching inbox zero of podcasts all the time, <laughs> I want there to be more podcasts in the world. Please, please save my ears.
3: And, and the thing is, is everybody has a different take. Everybody has a different approach. And so, you know, if if you're not seeing something out there that you would like to see, I mean, I love the idea of more shows being out there. And I agree with Jeff. I mean, we're, we're just, we haven't arrived yet, folks. (laughs) There's this gets going to grow a lot. So, so how are you prepping, you know, software engineering daily and uh, any other shows you're involved in for the future, then Jeff? Like, how do you stay current? And then I, I guess that's part of it. And the other part of it is, is, you know, what are you doing with your podcast processes and, and things like that to to stay on top of things.
2: To stay current, the show helps me a lot because I get to do interviews with people from a broad range of topics, WebAssembly, Kafka, JavaScript, all these different technologies. And in having conversations and preparing for those conversations, I develop a decent enough depth of understanding to have a cogent conversation with people and so I really do try to have, have at least a skin deep understanding of everything that's going on at the bleeding edge, to the extent that I can, to the extent that it's in the public. I'm sure there's a lot going on at you know Google and, and Facebook and Apple and stuff that's just, you know, we, we don't have insight into, unfortunately. But, um, you know, in terms of how my process has adapted, I've tried to get better at listening to what other podcasters are doing and what they're doing well and trying to emulate them in some ways. And, and, and just think about like, what am I doing wrong? Because podcasting is such a multidimensional practice. That's another thing I like about it is there's so much depth to being a good podcaster. Like there's some, for example, like some guests, you know, you have to really guide them through the conversation other guests, you can just kind of sit back and they'll drive the conversation and you have to know how to adapt to those kinds of circumstances. So I'm really always trying to improve as a host. Like if you go back, I don't know if you're a Joe Rogan listener, you probably are, but if you go back and listen to, to early Joe Rogan episodes, I mean, Joe Rogan is, he's, he's, whether, you, whether or not he's, he's the best podcaster, I, I believe he is the most popular and if you go back and listen to his, his earlier shows, he was not good. Like, I mean, at podcasting, he, I mean, he was, I mean, he was, he was fine. And the market was, wasn't very well developed, but if you listen to like very early episodes, he just, he doesn't really have like a format. He's just kind of like riffing and, and it's fine. It's okay. But he just got better with reps. And that's what was, what was, what's been cool to, to kind of hear about his progressions. He just, he's a really deep observer. And he may not be the best initially, but he's gotten better through reps. And that's something I've tried to practice as well, both in terms of the podcasts I conduct and the ones that I am listening to all day.
3: Yeah, that makes sense. I'm kind of curious what answers AJ and Amy would give to those same questions. You know, how do you stay current? And what do you guys do to you know, be better podcast hosts?
0: Listen to other podcasts? <laughs> Some Listen to other podcasts, ask questions as I meet people in the community, whether conferences, Slack, meetups, try to just, uh, I don't know, stay relevant with what's going on in the industry because it's easy to kind of, like if you're heavily involved in a podcast, it's easy to try to gear the content towards what you're interested in. And what you're interested in isn't necessarily what the broader community is interested in.
1: I'm fired.
3: <laughs> For me, you know, it's the same thing that Jeff pointed out. I mean, I've, I was trying to figure out how many podcast episodes I've actually recorded. And I'm trying to decide whether or not to actually count the uh, 100 or so screencasts that I've done. But yeah, I've probably recorded somewhere in the ballpark of 12 to 1500 podcast episodes across all the shows that I've done. And, you know, you just, you do, you just get better as you go. I mean, you have to be paying attention to what you're doing. I've gone to Toastmasters and that really helped. I've practiced speaking. I've paid attention to other podcasters. I mean, Jeff kind of lined it up and, and, and really you know, outlined what I do as well. But yeah, a lot, a lot of those things all play into it mm-hmm. and just into getting better. And then the other thing is, is, as far as the production on the back end goes, I've hired a team and we communicate. And we communicate a lot. And what that does is then if they see something that they think they can improve, then they come back around to me and we make it better. And so we add it to our processes. We have them all written down and we do that whole system so that we can make sure that things are going out the way that they should. And as far as staying current, yeah, I just talk to a lot of people. I go to a lot of conferences, uh, watch videos on YouTube, things like that. Just see where the community is moving to, try and kind of get a step or two ahead of that and then figure out what we can bring in and talk about. So I'm kind of curious. I don't know if you want to share numbers or not, Jeff. How, how big is Software Engineering Daily as far as the audience size? And I know you also have different feeds for different topics. And I'm wondering how that works and if you tend to be able to pull people in for the different topics as opposed to you know, the general feed where you have everything on it.
2: So uh, we have about 30,000 daily listeners as far as we know. And I don't know what monthly listeners, what number the monthly listener count would be. I've done some back of the envelope math, and I kind of guess at like a quarter million, maybe. But I honestly have no idea. I mean, you know, as well as I do, the podcast analytics just are not really reliable.
3: You could say that again, about six times. Yeah, It's, it's bad.
2: But I think that's fine. I think it's, I think it's par for the course. Like, you know, it's, it's not like TV is any better. TV analytics are not good. Like Nielsen ratings, you know, that's not, true too. That's not significant. And so, you know, I think that this whole idea about like, oh, we're waiting for better analytics before the, the brand advertisers pour their dollars in or something. I mean, it's not like they're spending money on, you know, channels that are significantly more measurable. Like even you take display advertising or you know, YouTube, like you got all kinds of bot fraud and stuff going on. Like who knows how, how valid that stuff is. So yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's like the numbers, who knows, like who knows how reliable those numbers are, but as far, and as, far as the, the feeds, yeah. I mean, we have these other feeds because we, we just produce a lot of episodes. And so we have like a feed for data and a feed for JavaScript and some other like topical feeds. And so the, those, we kind of just have the, the main feed, um, you know, other, other podcasters do this as well. You know, you have a main feed and then you have like kind of the topical feeds that break it down. Like if, you know, if you're really interested in data infrastructure, maybe you want to subscribe to the data feed and listen to those ones. Then we also have it, have apps. We have, we put a lot of effort into the mobile apps. So we have apps for, for Android and iOS that allow people to, you know, find all the episodes of a certain topic that they might be interested in. And there's kind of a social aspect to it. But other than that, I mean, I think, I think most of the consumption takes place on the pod, traditional podcast players, just people subscribing to Software Engineering Daily itself.
3: Yeah. And I think, I think the contrast is interesting because you have one channel that you've broken up into several topics, whereas we have several channels about topics that, you know, then I have a master feed that I haven't actually told anybody about, <laughs> but it has all the shows on it. And yeah, so, you know, the way that, you know, you kind of break things up and think about it, it's really, really interesting. I'm curious, as far as the apps go, are those written in like React Native or Ionic? Or did you hire somebody to do that? Or is that something you pulled together yourself? Because that's something I'm getting to right now.
2: It's been a combination of open source and contributions from contractors that we've hired. And uh, it's you know, iOS and uh, in, in, uh, written in Swift, I believe. And Android is mostly Kotlin, I think.
3: Yeah, it should be. Or Java, one of the two.
2: Yeah. But that, that's been an interesting process. Um, definitely harder to build a podcast player than I anticipated.
3: Yep. That makes sense. I mean, I could sit here and, and just you know swap notes all day. It's, it's fun to talk about the process. And it's something that I don't get to do as much unless I'm at a podcasting conference. So you know, just kind of getting a view into what you do and how you do it is really, really interesting. So yeah. I, I guess the other question I have is, you know, is this a full-time thing for you? Or are you taking contracts? Or do you have a full-time job? Or, or you know, how, how does this, you know, pay the bills?
2: Yeah, Software Engineering Daily is is um, kind of my, my main business. And, you know, I, I've, I've started some, some other companies. This company, Find Collabs, is, is kind of my, my other main focus or my other main focus that sounds pretty uh oxymoronic but i've done some other other companies but generally software engineering daily is the thing that i'm i'm putting the most um, the most time into and it's it's the thing that pays the bills
3: yeah it makes sense well i'm i've kind of exhausted my questions do aj or amy do either of you have other things you want to ask or bring up
0: I'm good too. I feel like I
1: was able to ask, I don't know. I had a lot of questions, but I'm good. So I, I do want to ask a little bit more about fine collabs, reversing a little bit. So while we were on the podcast, I decided to add what I feel like are my two most interesting projects, the projects I like the most, which are Greenlock and Telebit on fine collabs. And I'm wondering what is your advice as to like, what's next steps? Cause the wizard kind of guides me through and it says, you know, title your project, give it some tags, give it a brief description, say some people that you're looking for and then it kind of just kind of drops me off and I'm wondering what is a good way for me to use this tool to find like-minded people or to like to let people know that I'm looking or like what what should I do next?
2: Yeah. Well, if you are
1: somebody with a platform, you
2: can first of all share that that project and, and say, Hey, I'm looking for other people to come contribute to my project. And I think that's like kind of the easiest place to start. If you do have some followers, if you do have a community, a Slack channel, you can drop it into, you know, an email list, something like that. If you don't have a platform, then I think it's, um, it's a little bit harder right now. You know, there are definitely people who are coming to find collabs all the time. So people are coming to Find Collabs and they're looking for projects to contribute to. Let's say I just came out of a boot camp and I'm really interested in security. I'm going to come to Find Collabs and look for, like, you know, because oftentimes when people go through a boot camp, after the boot camp, there's kind of a gap where they're looking for a job, or maybe there's a there's a, a time in the boot camp where they're, you know, they have the opportunity to contribute to a project. In boot camps, people go through a process of of kind of finding where they want their career to go. And some people might say, hey, I want to be a security developer. And they might go to find Collabs and they might find GreenLock. And they say, wow, this is like perfect for me. I'm looking to develop better encryption software because I'm passionate about security. I don't have a job yet. I'm going to spend a weekend working on GreenLock. And I can just imagine that person, you know, waking up on a Saturday Cup of coffee in hand, it's 9 a.m. They're browsing through find collabs and they find Greenlock. And immediately they say, "This is perfect for me. I'm going to join. I'm going to be a programmer and write a plugin. and And then they're going to contribute to it. And then at the end of that, maybe they want to continue to contribute, or maybe they want to drop off and get a rating. And you give them a five star rating, and you've gotten code. They've gotten a rating. They've gotten experience. You, you're you're a you know experienced developer. So those are kind of the two sides of, of the market. Now, the, the problem that we, we do have a lot of trouble addressing is facilitating these kinds of communications to happen more organically. And we, we've got a lot of little features on here, like, you know, th- there's ways that you can connect with collaborators. You can send messages to collaborators. If you see somebody who's interested in a lot of the same stuff as you, you can met, just blindly message them. We're in the process of building, actually, by the the time this airs, we'll probably have topical chat rooms created so that if you're a TypeScript developer and you're looking for a cool project to bust your chops on on TypeScript to develop your skills, you would just be able to go into the chat room and find other people who are interested in TypeScript. And maybe you you together could find a project to work on. So, yeah. Well, yeah, I, I hope there's some security engineers out there who are listening who find GreenLock and and can contribute to it. I'll certainly promote
1: it. Awesome. Well, I think one that needs to be promoted as well is Swing Cycle, and I love the description. I saw that one. Isn't that awesome? (laughs) It's a large swing set on wheels that is powered by the momentum of swinging. Just needs to be figured out how to do it.
0: (laughs) That sounds amazing.
3: Sign me up. I think somebody's going to get killed on
1: that I'm, thing. Too. I am clicking follow on that one. I do want to know. Yes. I might want one of these for my home so that I don't have to walk from the bedroom to the kitchen. I can swing.
3: <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. It I'm almost 40, 40 so my,
3: my curmudgeon base came on and I was like, just get your swing cycle off my lawn.
1: I'm, I'm thinking you'd have like some sort of you know, crank gear where if it goes one, like a bicycle where if it goes one way, it does nothing. If it does the other way, it does something you just like store the energy in a spring and then press a button to release it. So you oh, here we, here we go. Here we go. All right.
3: I'm going to end the tangent right here. And uh, <laughs> I think I'm going to push us to picks. But before we do that, Jeff, how do people find you online?
2: You can find me on Twitter. You can find the, the podcast at software underscore daily. You can find me. I'm the underscore prion, P-R-I-O-N. And yeah, Software Engineering Daily, you can find me on Find Collabs. I would love to see your projects. I will definitely take a look at your project if you post it, even if it's a swing cycle. Even if
3: it's a swing cycle. Okay, sounds good. Hey folks, I'm super excited to be meeting up with you at RxJS Live. Now, if you're wondering what RxJS Live is, you ought to check it out. It's at rxjs.live. RxJS is the observable library that is changing the way people write asynchronous code. If you're using it, you know what I'm talking about. And if not, you really should try it. Of course, now it has its own conference, and I'm going because I love hearing from geniuses like Ben Lesh from the core team, Jay Phelps, author of Redux Observable, and one of my JS heroes, Matt Podwysaki. If you're one of those people who keeps asking me, how do I stay current? This is the conference for you about JavaScript. A lot of modern languages and libraries are built on observables. Plus, using them is like discovering power tools after building a ton of stuff by hand. This is the Don't Miss event. Register at rxjs.live and then come find me at the conference and say hello. All right, AJ, do you have some picks for us?
1: Yeah, I do. Let me go back and find them here. Okay, so first of all, I, you know, always have a good music pick. This one is a beautifully orchestrated a rendition of Saber's Edge which I had not actually heard before this week. It is from the latest release of Distant Worlds, which is a collection of orchestrated Final Fantasy music throughout the entire series. So all the way up to like Final Fantasy 15 or whatever we're at these days. And Saber's Edge is apparently the battle music, but it just, I mean, I wouldn't, listening to it, I don't think this sounds like battle music. It just sounds just incredibly beautiful. So I'd encourage anyone and everyone to check out Distant Worlds. I've mentioned them before, but Distant Worlds 5, or V as it's titled, is available on Bandcamp and on Amazon now. So check it out. Also, for those of you that don't know, I'm an avid Fine Collabs member, and uh, I've got a couple of projects listed on there, Greenlock, Telebit. GreenLock is Let's Encrypt for Node.js, so it's it's free SSL, automated HTTPS with automatic renewals. There's actually also a browser version, and those two kind of go in and out of step with being in sync with each other because of some of the peculiarities, but they're almost 100% the same now. And I would love to have collaborators for DNS plugins. So if you use a DNS service like name.com or DigitalOcean or... That that one's actually done. But I would love it if you would come and help out with that. My project, Telebit, is share anything with anyone. So right now, it's just technical underpinnings. Uh, Eventually, I'd like there to be a a nice UI. So right now, it looks kind of similar to Ngrok in that it establishes a tunnel, and then it uses GreenLock to set up the HTTPS. So it's it's actually a peer channel rather than just a a typical tunnel. It's encrypted end-to-end. And I think there's a, a lot of things I'd like to see built on top of that, particularly a music app. So anyway, I guess that's, that's a little shameless self picks of, of, uh, of my collabs project, but you know, you can find me on findcollabs.com. And and uh, let's see. I think I might've had one more, but I don't recall. So I'm just going to call that good. Nice. Amy, what are your picks?
0: I have one that I sent to a friend this morning. Uh, Scanning Hacker News um, called Burnout in the Brain. I'm a huge like neuroscience nerd. Like, I have a lot of friends who are really into anatomy and physiology and exercise. And for whatever reason, like, even though I have a ex- background in skating and exercise and all that stuff, I don't know, I always think the brain is way more powerful than we give it credit for. So, and I also think, I don't know, a lot of people that I know that I feel like are struggling from burnout are the kind of people that don't necessarily know that they are like you see here lots of people saying like oh I'm burned out but sometimes I think there's like true burnout which is what this article is talking about there's a lot like it literally changes the makeup of your brain and it makes you react in certain ways and so I would more say this might be an article for listeners who think that you might have a friend who's experienced the, experiencing some of these symptoms to maybe share the article. So uh, that'll be it for me.
3: Nice. I've put in the chat, and so they'll wind up in the show notes, the links to the fine collabs that I set up for Adventures in Virtual Reality, Adventures in Machine Learning, and Adventures in Python, and Adventures in Java, which are shows that we're looking at starting over the next uh, three months. So. I would love to, if you want to be a host or if you have any uh, input, that would be awesome just to help me kind of get those rolling. I, I'm at various stages with those. I'm also going to, I don't know if you can hear my fan in the background. My mic's pretty good at weeding out noise, but uh, I'm going to pick air conditioning because the air conditioning went out of my house upstairs, which is where my office is. So I've got a fan going and the window's open and trying to get air to circulate while we figure out what's going on with that. Um, my father-in-law's in town, so he's going to help me fix it. So I'm going to pick that. Or pick air conditioning up, picking the air conditioning broke. One more pick I have is I've been listening to a podcast called 75 Hard. Or no, sorry, MFCEO Project. And the host there, Andy Frizella, he came up with this program called 75 Hard. And I've been doing it. And it turns out it's way harder than I thought it was going to be. Basically, there are five rules. You have to stick to your diet without cheating. You have to work out twice a day for at least 45 minutes. Once outside, one of the workouts has to be outside. So if it's raining, you're going to get rained on, etc. Right? You have to read 10 pages out of a book and you have to drink a gallon of water and then you have to post to social media some kind of status update. I've been doing it for about a week and I messed up yesterday and I messed up a couple days ago. And when you mess up, you have to start over. So today is day one again. And yesterday, what happened was I've been doing the keto diet and I got a salad and I didn't realize that there were some things in there that I should be eating until after I'd eaten it. So... Anyway, uh, being a little bit more conscious about that, and the time before that when I screwed up, I hadn't, I, I forgot to read. <laughs> so it was the thing that I took for granted that I do, and I didn't do it. So anyway, um, but it's it's a kind of a mental toughness challenge more than anything else. Just you know, can you force yourself to do this on the days that it's not easy to do? So I'm going to pick that, and then I guess the last thing that I'm going to pick, and I've been talking a little bit on the shows about some of the stuff that's going on. So I fell off a roof about a week and a half ago. And they did an x-ray on Friday and turned out I'd broken my arm. And the reason I was late today is because I was meeting with a sports medicine specialist. And so I'm going to pick the good news that I got. And that is is that I can still work out. So I can still go run and stuff. I have limitations on how much I can lift with my left arm. But other than that, you know, I'm good. So I can keep training for my marathon and things like that. I can also type with my left hand. So I'm pretty happy about that because it's a pain. I've been typing one-handed for about a week and it is such a pain. So, anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm happy about that. So, that's just me smiling because life is not as horrible, I guess, or life is good. Life isn't as horrible as I thought. So, anyway, Jeff, what are your picks?
2: I will pick a few podcasting related things. One is Listen Notes. Maybe you've seen listennotes.com. It's it's a podcast search engine, but it's actually a, a set of other tools that are pretty cool. Like there's a podcast search API. This is the most compelling tool or sharing podcast playlists that I've seen. It makes it really easy to curate podcasts and add them to your own playlist. And there are people who, who curate their own list of podcasts, which is actually really useful to, I mean, my, my situation is that podcasts, podcast apps don't really suit me because I have so many podcasts I subscribe to. And like my master list of, of podcasts to listen to is like totally unfiltered, which is kind of cool, but it's also somewhat problematic. So you can subscribe to the, the guy who created listen notes has a great podcast playlist that I subscribe to. I subscribe to win bins podcast playlist so i would I would recommend listen notes and win bins podcast playlist those are my picks oh and also the hidden forces podcast that's my that's my last pick Hidden Forces podcast is a really interesting podcast about investing and technology and um, there's a couple of really interesting shows about whether or not Tesla is a, uh, a stock to bet against, kind of a, interviews with people who are shorting Tesla. So I, I like the Hidden Forces podcast.
3: Nice. There's another one, and uh, I've talked to the creator of this one a couple of times. He's trying to create kind of an IMDB of podcasts. It's called PodChaser. Okay. Podchaser.com. Hmm. So that, that one's interesting to look at. I hadn't heard of Listen Notes. But yeah, there's a lot of good stuff out there about podcasts. I'm going to be at Podcast Movement this year, if, you, if anyone's going to that. I'm actually sponsoring, so I will be in the sponsors, exhibitors area for most of the conference. But yeah, I know a lot of the folks that are there and a lot of the folks that speak at those conferences because I've been doing this for so long. And that's always a good experience as well. It'll be in Orlando this year. So if you're going to be there, let me know because I would love to catch up and, and see what people are up to. All right, Jeff. Well, thank you for coming. Well, thank you for having me, Chuck. Yeah, and I'm I also just going to throw in another recommendation for uh, Find Collabs. It's been a really kind of cool way of, of connecting with people. So I think we've listed a whole bunch of ways to collaborate with all of us. So
2: Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share these podcasts because I, I think there are some people in, our, in my Slack channel that would be interested in jumping on a podcast and contributing to one. So I'll, I'm going to try to share these far and wide. Yeah, the,
3: the ones that I'm really focused on right now are the Python one, the machine learning one and VR one. So cool. if we can I will those, share those, that would be cool. Yes, absolutely. All right. Well, let's go ahead and wrap this one up, folks. And we will be back next week. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by CashFly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with CashFly. Visit cachefl com to learn more.